0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at OakCityChurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. I uh hey, can you stand? We're gonna we're gonna uh, I'm gonna read the passage for today. If um, you're new to Oak City Church, we do this uh, just as a way of honoring, just being thankful that God has given us his word and recognizing. Um, that his words mean more than our words and and my words. So this is uh, John chapter 12 um, and verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, y'all can have a seat. We're in a series called Approaching Jesus. As we get um, closer to Easter, we're, we're looking at different characters in the last few hours and days of um, Jesus' time before the cross and um, looking at how they approach Jesus and what that says about Um, how we should approach Jesus and and how we relate to that and Judas is um, as John said I've never preached Judas I've never heard a lot of sermons on Judas I think I came into it thinking Judas is like radically different than everybody and so maybe it's going to be hard to preach and I ended up coming out of it thinking Judas is a lot more relatable than I thought he was or want him to be and he is a cautionary tale for all of us so this scene um, that I just read is uh, six days before the Passover. John uh, Fouché, a few, few, not the apostle John, but John Fouché, preached a few weeks ago on the Last Supper, and so that was the pas- that was the Passover that they're talking about that became communion, and um, and so this is six days before that. It's right before Jesus uh, goes to the cross. Bethany is a small town right outside of Jerusalem, which is uh, the big city. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings. And they are, they've got a fairly prominent role um, in the Gospels, and particularly in the Gospel of John. Uh, there's a story about Mary and Martha, and there's another meal where Jesus was there, and Martha's fixing everything, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's mad at her sister, and she's like, Jesus, make her do something, and so that's a great thats a great story that you probably heard preached before. And then Mary, and then Lazarus, just before this, probably a few weeks before this, was um, there's a story where Lazarus is sick, and so Mary and Martha send for Jesus. He's in a different town. It's one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It says um, that Jesus heard that Lazarus was really sick, um, but he loved them, so he waited a few days before he did anything about it. Because this is just a whole sermon in there of like he loved us, so he didn't do anything about our problem. And uh, but then he comes and and sees them and. Um, and Martha says, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Mary says the same thing. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he ends up weeping with them. That's a Jesus what passage. And then he raises Lazarus uh, from the dead. And they all see it. And that happened just before this. And so now they're in Bethany, and they're having a meal, really celebrating that. Um, and, and that event is another nail in the coffin for Jesus, where the religious leaders are like, we have to do something about this guy or everybody is going to follow him. So this meal happens in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and Mary and Martha are playing out their roles again. Martha's preparing the meal, and Mary just seems to be hanging out um, around Jesus. Um, and you get, the, you get the impression that Mary is the type of person that just wears her heart on her sleeve, and she is a feeler, and her emotions are, are out there loud, and, uh, and that she lives in the moment. Um, and... And here I think you know she's it's Jesus he just healed her brother like they have their brother back because of Jesus maybe everyone I think senses that tensions are high and so they might not have Jesus around for much longer and so she pours this perfume on his feet a pound is about a pint they said so it's about two cups of like essential oils poured on your feet you know which no thanks but it's, ex- it's extravagant. It is an extravagant offering to Jesus, an expression of how much uh, she loves him. John writes that the house was filled with the scent of this perfume. And John writes this like 60 years, 50 years after it happened. And so I, you almost get the sense that he's recounting this and writing it, and then he's like, oh, man. It's like he has a recollection, like, man, it's, I can smell it. Like the whole house smelled of this. You know how smells can just take you back to a spot? If I smell my grandmother's perfume, I'm like, like I'm with my grandmother, you know? I, uh, t- when we cook spaghetti, I am, I am back in the house I grew up in. There's a yellow like pot on the stove, and there's a wooden spoon, and my mom is yelling at me for double-dipping the wooden spoon and tasting the spaghetti sauce, because that's just what I used to do. And so it takes you back, and it's like John is back here, um, in the room there's a peace in the scene it's like a moment frozen in time a calm before the storm and they're just grateful that Lazarus is alive and that Jesus is with them and it drove Judas crazy (laughs) you know and so it's probably rolling his eyes with an expression like silly woman she's never gonna change like just doing this again Uh, But on the inside, he's thinking, oh, man, where'd that perfume? I didn't know she had that. I could have sold that and skimmed off the top and gotten some more money for myself. And so with a pious self-righteousness, he says, well, we could have sold this and given the money to the poor, uh, which seems really pragmatic and generous. um, But it's not, you know, and in the other there are two other gospels that recount this story, it says that the other disciples were indignant as well and went along with him. Now, um, 300 denarii, which is what it's valued at, is, a denarii is a day's wage for a laborer. So 300 denarii is a year's salary for a laborer. And so the average American, you know, the average salary is for an American worker, it's, it's about $50,000. So it's probably $50,000 worth of perfume. It may not be because Jesus says, let her have it so she can anoint my bar- my body for burial. But but it's some exorbitant amount of money that she's um, poured over his feet, which makes me think that she's not married. Because her aura, they just didn't record her husband going, what? You did what? It's <laughs> like, this was our kid's college fund. We said in premarital class we wouldn't spend more than $50 without talking to each other. How did you do that? Like, um, but she, she does it, and it does seem excessive. Like, I think, <laughs> I find myself thinking in my sermon preparation, like, shoot, that wasn't even for, like, a building campaign or something, which just is so lame, you know? <laughs> and this is the point in my sermon pre- preparation, where I start being convicted and realize I'm not so different than Judas um, than I thought I was. And this is just worship for her. There is a, uh, a chorus that I don't think we've ever sung, maybe once or twice, um, but, and it's not old, it's, it was written in 1982, but it was really popular for a while, that um, that goes, Lord, you are more precious than silver, and Lord, you are more costly than gold, and Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares to you. And that's what she's expressing, like, for real. Um, this $50,000 worth of perfume is nothing. And so if I can express my gratitude towards you with it and worship you, I'm going to. That song goes on, Lord, your love is higher than the mountains. Your love is deeper than the seas. Your love encompasses the nations. And yet you live right here inside of me. Who can weigh the value of knowing you? Who can judge the worth of who you are? Who can count the blessings of loving you? And who can say just how great you are? Um, Now, when I was looking up the lyrics to that song, because I always, I listened to that song, I remember listening to it, I thought an old person wrote this. I don't know why I thought that, that's just what I thought, but then they had the story behind the song. It was written in 1982 by a student who was going to Auburn University and felt like the Lord was trying to get her to start practicing fasting, um, you know, not eating for a period of time. But she was working at McDonald's and the fries worked on her one afternoon and she ate a couple fries and then she felt so bad that she wrote this song. So it's a little bit more relatable than we thought it was, you know. Uh, it's not an old person it's, it's someone just like us and th- that's just where she went like and it's the song that we just sang you're better than and that's a, that's a challenging song and like my mind i think through all the things that pragmatically i'm saying are better than jesus by the amount of time i waste on them instead of him you know like this is hard this is where we are and this scene is the straw that broke the camel's back for judas So Mark records, then, then, right after this, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, again, he was one of the twelve, one of the disciples, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give Judas money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so for whatever it is in the scene, either he thought Jesus would never come around and stop accepting the stupid stuff from someone like Mary, or he thought he could make more money by selling Jesus out than by stealing from Jesus. This was it, and so he um, he goes to the chief priests and agrees for 30 pieces of silver um, to, to betray Jesus, um, and that was it's hard to weigh out denarii versus 30 piece, pieces of silver. It was hard to find out what that is. It's either like 10% of what the 300 was or a whole lot less, a couple hundred bucks. In the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver is what you would sell a slave for. So it's an expression of contempt, like this is what Jesus is worth to the religious leaders and to Judas. And then he betrays Jesus with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas, and I'll get to this later, says it does, he does feel guilty for betraying an innocent man, tries to give the money back. And then kills himself. So what happened with Judas? Here's first first point I want to make. Of this got three points. First one is Judas had everyone fooled except Jesus, and that may have included himself. So you like we you got to be careful not to fall into this trap because Judas looked. Judas could be in the room. We wouldn't know. We would have no idea that it was Judas. Um, he was a disciple. So in Matthew, uh, when Jesus calls the disciples. Says he called to him his twelve disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Another gospel says he prayed all night before he made this decision about who the twelve are. And then they named the twelve. Uh, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Uh, he was a disciple. This passage says the, the one the scene from john but judas iscariot one of his disciples uh he went on the missionary journeys he had received the power the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out he probably did that he was there the entire time he saw all the things that jesus did and participated in them with the other disciples uh he i think he had influence over the disciples the other scenes say that and you can see it in in a scene i'm just going to read from in a minute but but the other disciples, it says, were indignant in the other gospel accounts of this scene. But, and I think that started with Judas. Like, oh, I can't believe you do that. We could have sold this money. And they're like, oh, yeah, we could have done that. Um, they, the disciples had no idea. So at the Last Supper, um, so just after this, John 13, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. So God, is, God is 12 around the table. Truly, truly, I say to you, Uh, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Like I thought, surely by this time they knew I had never trusted that Judas guy. Like I always knew he was shady. But they have no idea. And then this ends up being a great scene. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, and that was John, he refers to himself in the third person a lot, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motions to him. Can you just see the scene playing itself out? Simon Peter's like, Jesus had his turn the other way. John, he likes you best. He'll tell you who it is. Find out who it is. And so John's like, oh, I got you, okay? And it's like, Jesus, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody. You can tell me who it is. <laughs> and so Jesus um, says, it's he who I give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so I think this is just between him and John. And so then I think there's a little bit of time. He's like playing it cool. And he dipped the morsel, and he gave it to Judas. And after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Judas said, hey, what you're going to do, do quickly. And even then, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Like he's the one that kept, he was the treasurer for the group. And the responsible, he was the responsible one. You know, like they trusted him. And they didn't suspect him, even when Jesus has, has said one well, of them is going to betray him and sends Judas out saying, Hey, what you're going to do? That would be a clue, you know? Um, and so after receiving the morsel of bread, he went out, and it was night. Um, it's easy to be fooled. Do you remember this story from a couple of years ago? Do you remember this lady? Does anybody remember seeing this? When you're a pastor, you pay attention to stories like this. So this lady, this sweet little, although she doesn't look sweet, but no one looks sweet in a mugshot, um, this sweet little 79-year-old church secretary stole $150,000 from her church in Thomasville, North Carolina. Does anybody know where that is? Because I have no idea. Uh, Thomasville, North Carolina, by forging checks over an 11-year period of time. Right, right. I found a story about a seventy-nine-year-old nun with a gambling problem in California who stole eight hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars from her Catholic elementary school that she worked at. And you, these stories are all over the place, man. Um, there was another couple, like, but they were they were divorced and they stole a hundred thousand. He was pastor, stole hundred thousand dollars from his church in Eastern North Carolina. N- no one knows. Um, And and Judas, like, had no concern about the poor, but people didn't get that. In the passage that I read at the beginning, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He was skimming off the top, and no one knew it except for Jesus. We all, I said this a few months ago, I saw this quote, and I really appreciated it. Um, the guy said we, there, we have a public life that everyone sees we have a private life That like certain people see and we have a secret life That we might not even know about ourselves Like to some extent we all put something out publicly and we keep some other step back I remember a pastor years ago listened to him in a men's thing saying because he had fallen he'd had a moral failing sexual moral failing And he said I and it's big church um, somewhere in tennessee and he said I I let people see the 97% so I could hide the 3%. I remember thinking, oh man, Um, this happens all the time. It's not money, like there's sexual abuse stories in the church um, all the time. The Catholic Church sexual abuse scandal, there's stories about every six months I feel like you see a story of a sexual abuse thing in the church. Um, I mean, I remember within the last couple years it was it was a camp and it wasn't far from raleigh and this guy had worked at the camp for 40 years he was the old guy at the camp that everybody loved Um, but it turned out he was abusing children and no one uh, knew about it i send these articles when i when i see them to our children's director (laughs) because like i we have policies in place um about background checks and how many teachers have to be in each classroom and how long you have to be here for before we'll let you be in a classroom and how the kids are taken to the bathroom and like it's easy to get lax on those because we know everybody but we don't uh, and that's part of what comes out of the story of judas i said this a few weeks ago there's an unbelievable number of leadership failures in the church in the past few years maybe the internet just makes it so that we know about all of them but it just seems like there's tons of them There's a quote from Charles Coulson that said, there's no limit to the heart's capacity for self-justification. And so we think of Judas as some exceptional character, but I come out of this thinking we all have a little Judas in us, and we need to be careful that it doesn't become a lot of Judas. Here's my second point. Hearts don't grow this hard overnight, but slowly over long periods of time. We don't know if Judas had this in his mind from the very beginning and if he was um, just a crook the whole time. I don't, I don't, I suspect that's not what the case is and I don't need Judas necessarily to make this point. But I don't think he started in this place. Um, I think he got there over that three-year period of time. This is from Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years so this is talking about the israelites after they come out of egypt and they go into the desert and they're they have the opportunity to go into the promised land of israel so they've been slaves in egypt for 400 years and and what and their hearts were were hardened in their rebellion against god so god had sent They cried out to God, said, save us from the Egyptian taskmasters. God sends the ten plagues. The last of those is the angel of death that passed over their houses. That's where Passover comes from, because they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the lintels, all just a giant picture of Jesus. Um, Then he parts the Red Sea, which is a picture of baptism, a picture of Jesus, gets them out into the desert, feeds them with manna every morning. He has manna on the ground, a miracle every single morning. And still, they managed to worship a golden calf, you know, and and grumbled and complained about not having enough stuff and begged to go back to Egypt. And they hardened their hearts. And he says, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so they didn't get to go into the promised land. It was the next generation, um, you know, going into the promised land. For the first time, I think I wondered metaphorically if the hardness that we do harbor in our hearts keeps us from, like, getting promises of God that he wants to give us, uh, but we don't because we're not, we just don't have a heart of gratitude towards him. Some of us have more of a propensity towards a hard heart than others. Like, I think we can all, if we sat down, and this is a good exercise, every single day, I remember probably a year ago um, reading this thing, and and I preached it about starting every day with three things that you're grateful for. First thing, out of the gate, think about three things that you're grateful for, good way to start your day. Some of us, that's just a more natural thing to, to remember the ways that God has been good to us and to dwell in those things. But all of us can think of things that don't make sense about God because our brain is two half half pounds of gray matter and God is infinite. So there's always going to be stuff that we don't understand and things in our life that we, they're not the way that we want them to be. And so we wrestle with God about what that is and why it is and which one you focus on the most and keeping those things balanced out with gratitude being more than, than the other part of it is going to, is going to make a difference in if your heart grows hard or not in hebrews the author finishes this take care brothers lest there be in in any of you an evil unbelieving heart brothers disciples take care brothers that there be in you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god but exhort one another every day like you need the you need each other you need the church exhort one another you need reminders as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because it's possible for your heart to become hardened Um, satan is mentioned in the Judas story a handful of times and ways i don't think that's unique the the series we just finished in first peter peter says be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout uh, the world. And so that temptation of the deceitfulness of sin comes from him. It's always come from him and in and it like we're all vulnerable to it. You know, I started this sermon thinking exclusively about Judas's approach approaching Jesus, Judas's approach, but Mary's approach kept coming back to mind, like her extravagance towards Jesus compared to the hardness of Judas's heart towards Jesus, and I thought we're either becoming like one or the other. We're moving in one direction or the other. We're either focused um, on the things we can be grateful for, or we're focused on the things that don't make sense or the things that bother us. And questions are fine. If you're not asking questions, you're probably not thinking really deeply about the whole thing. You know, I'm big on just saying, "Hey, we welcome questions," because I've, I've have friends that like their church just said don't ask questions and that is not helpful to faith there's always going to be questions with faith but either God is bigger than your questions and you get and worship is what dictates this where I'm not sure but God has done all these things and I know he loves me because of the cross and so I'm going to keep that in perspective or the questions become too big for God. Because we focus, not because God isn't big enough, but we focus so much on the questions and make them so big and let them lead this into a place of bitterness and that's unbelief. And worship is the delta in there. How much we're going to make God big in our hearts or recognize God's bigness in our hearts and our souls. And I think for Judas, I think this hardness of heart starts small with a little lie repeated over and over again. And it's probably the same lies that the devil's been saying since Genesis chapter 3. Um, there are no consequences to your actions. God doesn't really love you. He loves himself, and he's using you. You can take control of things, and you will do a better job than him. It's the, I hear that stuff in my heart all the time. It, he, does, he has no new lines. It's all the same stuff. It starts little and gets big. One guy wrote, no man could be more evil than Judas. Only 11 other men in all of history have had the intimate personal relationship that Judas had with the incarnate Son of God. No man has ever been more exposed to God's perfect truth, both in precept and example. No man has been more exposed firsthand to God's love, his compassion, his power, his kindness, his forgiveness, and his grace. No man has had more evidence of Jesus' divinity or more firsthand knowledge of the way of salvation. Judas saw everything, he saw people healed, he saw lives changed, he probably participated in casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, he saw Lazarus raised from the dead, and yet, like, he gave in to something over and over and over again, the questions in his heart, the greed, the cynicism, the lust for more, and in this scene that I started with, he, he watches the sincerity and innocence and fullness of Mary's love for Jesus, um she'd give anything for him and then just how where his heart had to get to where he has this self-righteous response about caring for the poor when really he's stealing from jesus man that is a hard hard heart and um so in the garden of gethsemane um after jesus has prayed well he was still speaking judas came one of the twelve and And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. And Judas came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. Oh, can you imagine this? And kissed him. And Jesus punched him in the liver and he doubled over and died. (laughs) Shoot, man. And Jesus said, friend. And I I know how I would say friend, but Jesus isn't me, man, thankfully. And I think he meant it. Do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. One person wrote, proximity to Jesus cuts both ways. You spend enough time with Jesus, your heart will grow soft or hard. Judas hardened his heart to the point that he would not repent. He locked the door from the inside and threw away the key. And here's the last thing I want to say about this. The antidote to a hard heart isn't regret, it's repentance, and there's a difference. So this is from Matthew when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. And this is hard, because I thought, man, is that, re- that looks like repentance. And so I, I looked up a lot of different opinions on this, and I couldn't find one that said that's what repentance was. There are apparently two different words um, that are used in this situation in the Greek, and one of them, metanoia, is to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. That's repentance. And there's another one, metamelami, metamela, right? Um, to change one's mind about something with the probable implication of regret. But it, they all said it's not repentance. He felt bad um but he didn't change proof that Ju- judas's sorrow was ungodly and selfish is seen in the fact that he made no effort to defend or rescue jesus he had no desire to vindicate or save jesus but only to ease his own conscience which he attempted to do by returning the 30 pieces of silver to the chief elders he's trying to make himself feel better he's not trying to fix the situation. Um, another guy wrote, Repentance is self-exposure. It's a heart laid bare, a mind determined to head in a new direction. Surely he knew that all it would take to make things right was running to Christ in confession. Instead, he hid in the shadow of shame. Indeed, Judas's effort was nothing more than a feeble attempt to hang fruit on a dead tree. But only genuine repentance produces genuine fruit. After all he'd seen firsthand, Judas undoubtedly knew that mere remorse couldn't account for his sin against God. I drew a contrast between Judas and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is another thief. He was a, a chief tax collector, and those like they were hated. He was a Jewish guy, but all the Jewish people hated him because he worked for the Romans and stole money from everybody. And he is a short guy. Um, I didn't grow up in church. Well, I didn't grow up in ch- a churchy church, and so when I started to be a youth pastor at our last church. A young woman came into my um, office one day and started singing Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Whatever that song is, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She was calling me short. <laughs> Youth pastor's man, pray for him. Uh, he's the guy that climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus went into his house and everybody grumbled. But he was like, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Like he just looked at who he was and changed everything about it. And there was joy in it because he'd, he'd received forgiveness. Um, I think this story is a call to search our hearts for those places where it's become hard before they get harder and they grow. Um, John talked a few weeks ago about his, he found out his brother has uh, cancer and found out late, could have found out earlier. Um, And I thought about that. Repentance is a little bit like chemotherapy where it's gonna hurt, but it's gonna lead you to a place of freedom. And if you don't do it like that, is just that cancer and the sin is cancer is just going to grow and i think because none of he was a disciple and none of them knew like we it's a call to us to be really careful and not treat him as an outlier but a warning and so that may be sin um, you know you're involved in but others don't know um, that you've just like given into in some way And that sin won't stop with whatever area of your life it's taken over it's going to keep going and there's going to be consequences and you can always repent you know but the further you go the harder it gets um think about these church pastor scandals and like those guys preached like this every single week you know and what a trap that can be um it may be areas of bitterness with the Lord, where you wonder why some part of your life could be the way that it is, but your heart has gotten hard towards him. Uh, I'm so glad that God put the story of Job in the Bible, because it speaks right to that. He has every reason to, and He he's allowed to express it, but God brings resolution in that, or the Psalms. Because there's so much honesty and like passion drawn about it. How could this happen? Where are you, God? And yet, like they find a way to hold on to hope and they speak exactly into this. And so I don't know what that is in your life. Um, it could be physically, like how could God let this happen to me? Uh, and I think we find like Jesus went through some stuff physically. Like, I think he relates to that, you know. Um, it could be financially, like you've given. I mean, he wants us to be generous financially. We, I don't say this a lot. Every elder I've ever had says you need to talk more about money. <laughs> um, but he wants us to tie this 10% and, for the, and we believe for the local church to be a priority in that. But, like, just to be generous and to be giving. But that may be the part of your life that the last part that you're going to give is that part of your life that's a hardness of heart that's a marker of spiritual maturity it could be relationally well and jesus who was rich he was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich like generous with his stuff um it may be relationally that you've you just gotten a routine that's cut yourself off from people and exhort one another doesn't happen because you're not close enough for anybody to know and that's a dangerous place to be and so you need to be at the if gathering or just hanging out and eating brisket with the guys like you need to be related to people um, but it's easy to get in a routine because the routine becomes your friend at certain points in life but you're isolated it could be vocationally where you're just in a rut just playing your role and not even listen for what god wants you to do it could become it could be recreationally because where you like There's a difference, someone said, between recreation and entertainment. Recreation recreates you. And entertainment is just like like a dopamine rush. And it could be that. Like, there's a lot of things that you think are better than Jesus because we get caught up. And it's so easy for us to do because we have such an abundance. I don't know, whatever that is that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about. Are you moving more in the direction of Mary, where your heart is getting bigger and bigger? The lord or are you moving more in the direction of judas where in subtle ways your heart is getting um, harder so here's what we're gonna do you have these connect cards Uh, we were doing this pre-covid these connect cards used to be just for new people but then we're like these are a good way just to connect with folks in the church and um and so they asked for prayer requests or for praises and and we're going to give you a few minutes if there's some things you would like to, us to pray for you about, and that can be really vague given this sermon. Uh, take a minute, and you don't have to, you know, but take a minute, and and if you could fill this out, and as you come up and take communion, you can drop it in this box. But just to, just to, we're going to just kind of have a minute of quiet to reflect on that, um, or maybe you keep it and you just write down on the back some things that God is speaking to you about um, where you need. Where you need to give to him something that you've been holding on to, yourself, and then we're going to worship, and worship is the difference. Where we let God be big in our hearts, and while we're doing that, John will be up here. John and I will be up here with the bread and the cup, and so um, we would invite you to do that, uh, and to to do that in a way that if there's something in your heart that you know you're you're he's convicting you of. To offer that over to him and to receive like there's nothing that he won't forgive. And this is the body and blood of Christ has been given for us. And it was given 2,000 years ago, but we keep doing this every single week because it's right now that it matters. It's right now. So take a minute. Um, I'm going to pray. Take a minute with these and then we'll we'll worship in just a minute. Father, thank you for... um, Shoot, I don't think I can say thank you for Judas. Uh, But thank you that you can use any of these stories to speak to us about our relationship with you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would speak into our hearts and that we would listen and we would respond. We pray this in Jesus' name.